Hey buds, here's another episode of Cup Check, the podcast. Coming at you. Let's go! What's up everybody? This is the inaugural episode number one of Cup Check, the last dance, the top moments. My name is Tim Falco, aka Falco's here, and with me is the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Burhalter. What's up, guys? So, guys, I know uh, a lot of you people have already watched The Last Dance, Michael Jordan's docuseries on ESPN. Um, I I intentionally didn't watch it because I wanted to binge watch it. And this past weekend, I got to watch all 10 episodes, and I am a huge fan. Huge fan. Yeah, I'm mind-blown on it. Honestly, like it, it's crazy how in depth that they went into that last season, and like the build up from. They almost had two stories going. You had, oh, well, they literally had two stories going. You had like Michael Jordan beginning of his career in basketball, and that led up to the 1998 season, and then, you know, going in sequence, they were telling the story of the 1998 season. So. The producers and everybody and how they produced that film was, I mean, it's extraordinary how they did it. Yeah. Spoiler alert, guys, if you haven't seen it yet, the Bulls do go 6-0 and in the NBA Finals during the 1990s. Yeah, I'll and they you heard do, that. And they do win the 1998 NBA Championship against the, Bull, against the Utah Jazz. But like Steve just said, it was, it was so beautifully well done how it jumps from the 80s to the 90s, but it doesn't go crazy with how they they jump back and forth yeah i mean it's yeah sequential like you're able to easily follow along both stories as it's going on yeah so that that leads us into uh we were thinking of what we wanted to do we definitely wanted to talk about the last dance and we know a lot of people have already done this so we're putting our little spin on it cup checks personal spin we're both going to be talking about our top moments so we have five each not necessarily going to talk about it in order, because if we bring up a topic and it's on our list, we're just going to jump right in and talk about it. Yeah. But, um, Steve, I'm actually going to – I'll start off because what you said is on my list. Okay. Um, Jordan's college days at the University of North Carolina. Yeah. I knew a lot about it. I wasn't born yet, but I knew a lot about it just from the history books and family members that, that followed Jordan. Yep. Um, I knew he was great. I knew he was a top, top tier athlete. I didn't know how good. Um, quick, quick little rundown for all you guys that don't know, and you you want to know but you don't want to take the time to look this up. Here are his awards: 1981-82 national champion. As a freshman, he hits the game winning shot. He's yep. a two time consensus All American player. He's the 1983-84 AP Player of the Year, the Rupp Trophy for best player. So that was an award. Given it's no longer given, I think it stopped in 2015, but he was basically the nation's top player. He's also the Naismith Award winner, which is still given to the nation's top player. 20 total awards. And my favorite stat that came out of these three years at North Carolina, his field goal percentage increased every single year. And that just shows the growth of what type of player he was. Yeah. And he was, I mean, how many years was he there? Was he there three or four years? He was there for three, and he okay. was going to go back. And his coach, Dean Smith, said, you you need to go pro. Yeah. And I mean, he had a chance. Of, I mean, basically saying that he had a chance of being the top four yeah. pick. And 
I mean that that just also shows how Jordan mindset was. It's like you know I like I like Chapel Hill. I like this area, and yep. he wanted to go back and continue to you know help the team. But and that's also showing how the coach had Jordan's best interest as well. Yep. So yeah, because they only won the one championship. Yeah. They went to the there were deep college runs in March Madness every single year, but Dean Smith knew that Jordan wasn't going to get any better in college, and he basically recommended Jordan go pro. And the cool thing is, like you said, the documentary shows a strong bond between Jordan and not only his coach, but his father and mother. Yep. And his mother preached education. Yep. And Jordan could have left after his sophomore year, and he didn't. Yep. He, uh, he, he's valued education as well. Yeah. But my That's favorite funny. thing from that section um, in the docuseries, they bring in a lot of uh, awesome cameos mm-hmm. from celebrities to former coaches. And Roy Williams, head coach at UNC now, was an assistant coach at the yeah. time. My favorite quote from Roy Williams' mouth, Michael Jordan is the only player that could ever turn it on and off. And he never freaking turned it off. Yeah. And just wow. like hearing his voice, the way he said it, it was like gut-wrenching. Like he never yep. turned it off. Yeah. like – it was awesome. And, yeah, I, I didn't do it justice, guys. You got to watch that scene. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, he also quoted saying, like, it went from everybody calling him Mike to Michael. Yep. And it was just, you know, that turnaround right there. He went from Mike Jordan to Michael Jordan. And from there, you know, the legacy of Michael Jordan started. Guys, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it again. Like, that is a – yeah, the freshman shot that he hit in the finals was huge. And it was actually drawn up for him because they knew that they were going to get the ball rotation. He's going to be open. And Dean Smith, Hall of Fame coach, knew that Michael was going to hit that shot. Yeah. And that's when he became Michael Jordan. Yep. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But uh, you want to move on to the next one? Let's do it. Okay. So, one – I don't know. My my top five, here's one of them. It was the Space Jam pickup games. Love it. During the filming of Space Jam, Michael – well, that was, they actually started the filming right after he came back from baseball. Right? Yeah. So, it was the uh, – he just got eliminated in the playoffs by yep. the uh, Orlando Magic. Yep. And yeah. so during that series – I mean, you even saw on the on the documentary that Michael said my body was in a was a baseball body, and I had to transform it back into a basketball body after those eighteen months. Yep. So during those several weeks of filming, it was after filming from seven thirty to ten p.m. He was playing pickup <laughs> games every single night. So you legit had some. I mean, the game's best basketball players so like you had Juwan Howard and Reggie Miller out there night in and night out helping Michael Jordan get better and I mean it's interesting like you had those guys their best friends and they're helping each other get better during that time and and it was it was they were in the movie Reggie Miller's in the movie Patrick Ewing's in the movie so it was the genius of Jordan was yeah you're in the movie and you all love basketball let's let's play and most of those guys were just playing 
their hearts out because they yep. wanted to win in that pickup game. Yep. And Jordan was using that time to scout the NBA superstars yeah. that he didn't really get to play with for yeah. 18 months. Yep. So all their skills changed. Ewing became a different player. Juwan Howard was on the scene now as a, as a new up-and-coming NBA all-star. Um, but like you said, he had transitioned his body from a basketball player into a baseball player. Yeah. And he didn't play basketball. He didn't train for basketball for 18 months. Yep. And his trainer was out there with him in in the Hollywood studios. Yeah, they legit built a basketball court and a weight room on the set. Yep. And after filming, like you said, for 10 hours a day, it it was waking up early to train. It was filming. And then closing the day, it was training and basketball until he went to bed. Yeah. It's the heart of a champion right there. It is. It shows you he, he didn't want to lose in anything. As yeah. as the documentary shows, he he wanted to be Jim Blackjack. He wanted to be Jim Golf. He wanted to be Jim in um, quarters in yeah. the locker room. And he had a, it's just a winning mentality, the mindset that he had. Yep. And, I mean, he even said in the documentary, by the time he got to the 1998 series, he was essentially at his peak. He was at his peak yep. mindset and physical ability. Yep. And... It brings it back to the Roy Williams quote. He never turned it off. Yeah, exactly. And that's the difference between him and other freak athletes out there. All the all the guys in the in the 90s that played on the 92 Dream Team made all these all-star games. They were superstar basketball players, but they didn't always want to give 100% or they didn't always give 100%. Yeah. And, I mean, this documentary shows for all those fans, NBA fans that are – that are too young to know who Jordan is. They never got to see him live. Yeah. I'm one of them. Yeah. I was, yeah. What? I was two years old when the 98 <laughs> series was happening. So I have no idea. I, I've never watched an actual game of Michael Jordan yep. playing live, but you all, you had this debate who's better LeBron or Jordan. But after watching this series, it's, I mean, there's no doubt it's LeBron. Jordan was the best to ever play. The best there is, the best there was, best there ever will be. And, you know, this series just solidifies that. Yeah. Jordan's, Jordan's skill set was was transformational for not just him, but for everyone that he played with. And the, the docuseries does a very good job of showing that. It shows when Jordan got drafted in 1984, mm-hmm. the Bulls were a terrible, terrible franchise. Um they almost lucked into getting Jordan because first pick was Akeem Olajuwon, who everyone was going to take. Akeem Olajuwon was the best college basketball player. He was a center. He was seven feet. That's how the game was played back then. Um, the Portland Trailblazers had picked two, but they weren't going to take Jordan because they already had a young Clyde Drexler, who, if you guys don't know, he was an uh, all-star every year uh, in the Hall of Fame. Look up his stats. He was very, very, very good. So the Bulls knew they were getting Jordan at three. And Jordan, a humble Michael Jordan, basically said in an interview, all he wanted to do is make the Bulls relevant. Yep. Bring a championship to Chicago. Yeah. And his the mindset. The Bulls were being, out, um, I guess, tickets were being <laughs> outsold to, yeah. what was it, an indoor soccer? It was an indoor soccer team in the yeah. 80s. That yeah. was beating the Chicago Bulls in ticket sales and on a nightly revenue. basis. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. Yep. It just shows you what one superstar can bring. And then the documentary shows that no matter 
how good Jordan was, he couldn't get over the hump of getting past the elite teams in the mm-hmm. East, meaning the Celtics and the Pistons, until yep. the team concept really became the number one goal for Jordan. Yep. He, he always had a team concept of building his teammates up, yep. making them better, but most of the time it was just on him to do it. Yeah. And then when we see Scotty blossom into the Scotty Pippen yep. that we know. And it really, I mean, Phil Jackson turned that team. Like, yes. It was this mentality that he brought, a team mentality. And it shows, I mean, Phil was taking the ball out of Michael's hands compared to the previous coach and the pre- previous regime in there. Yep. But, you know, it just shows that, you know, there's no I in team. But yep. Jordan did say there's an I in win. But yep. Phil, <laughs> Phil has a unique ability of being able to make it a team atmosphere all while making it around Michael Jordan. Yep. And it was really unique how, you know, that bond happened and the whole team fused together and they went on that amazing run. Yep. Yeah, it's a, that's a very well well said point right there. Phil in the documentary actually says to Jordan and to the cameras, I told him you're probably not going to lead the league in scoring every single year like you're used to. But the triangle offense scheme, which took about – a year and a half for the Bulls to really grasp. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it brings everyone into the game and everyone gets a touch. But the greatness of Michael Jordan is he still led the league in scoring every year. That just shows you how efficient he was. Yeah. A lot of people say he was just a jump shooter. Um, once, you know, his first six years where he was averaging like 35 a night, he was getting to the rim, dunking. But he became such a cerebral player. Yeah. As he got older, and it, it shows because he his teammates all got better. Yep. And I'm not going to go into it too deep in this podcast, but his teammates, a lot of people say, oh, he had a great supporting cast. Yeah, Pippen was great. Yeah, Rodman and Horace Grant were, were great. Everyone else after that were legit 100% role players. They yeah. were not superstars in other teams. No. That's crazy. But, I mean, you have Steve Kerr there. He was like – you know, in between, a role, you know, the role player and – I mean, he was probably the best role player you could have. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. For for Jordan's teams, John Paxson and Steve Kerr were perfect because they were – And it's they crazy spread how the floor. similar they were. Yeah. Similar players. And, I mean, kudos and you go, you, and, you go back, too. They didn't shoot a lot of threes in that those NBA games. No. Yeah, a lot of it was you, going to the rim yep. or just shooting a little fadeaway. The, the game was dominated by big men, six yep. foot ten and bigger. The game was dominated by back to basket. Um, two man game didn't really become a thing until the late 90s. Two man game meaning point guard center passing back and forth, creating space. Back then, it was you dump it down to Patrick Ewing or Akeem Olajuwon in the post and you let them work for five seconds. And if they got a shot, they took it. Yeah. And the, and the, the thing that blew my mind is they would show the final scores of all these games. And a lot of them were 75 to 70, yeah. 80 to 72. Low scoring games. And, <laughs> and that Jordan just shows. Was, yeah. And Jordan's still dropping 40. Yeah. That's nuts. And so and that just shows you how important defense was back in those days. Yeah. Like it was, it was crucial. And now in today's NBA, you yeah. got guys, I mean, scores are in the hundreds. Yeah. And yeah. Everyone's, everyone's scoring a hundred and, in the NBA Finals, you have, like, the Warriors scoring 130-plus points. Yeah. And it's okay because the other team didn't really care. They were trying to score more. 
Whereas the 80s and 90s mentality was, we're going to hold you to 70 points, and all we have to do is score 71. Yeah. That ties in perfectly with one of the quotes that Jordan said. Um, really stuck out with me, so I'm not going to give anything away. He Some of the speeches that Jordan gives, present day, 56, 57-year-old Michael Jordan, um, looking back on his career, gets very emotional, and it's 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 moving. But the one quote that stood out to me was from Jordan himself, talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence win championships. Yeah, that's it. Wow. Wow. And it's, it's you can you can fast forward to today's NBA. Um, within the last 10 years, 15 years, you look at like the Spurs. The Spurs won five championships. Yeah, Tim Duncan's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, Tony Parker's a Hall of Famer. But weren't the freak athletes that you would think of with um, Duncan being uh, the big fundamental. A lot of fadeaway jump shots that other big men are taking. He's literally just back to basket, turn around, little sky hook, and they win five championships. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the mindset that the Bulls had in the late 80s when Phil Jackson took over, they started becoming a team that believed – Yep. And then it showed transitioning into my number one point that I took away from this entire docuseries was something that I didn't get to witness because I was only two years old. And that was the, the bad boys of the Pistons, Isaiah Thomas, Bill Ambeer, Chuck Daly is their coach. They literally came up with something called the Jordan rules. Yeah. And it was a way to just physically beat up Michael Jordan to yeah. beat the Bulls. Yeah. Little stats. I'll throw these out real quick. I'm a stats guy. I love stats. Stats sometimes show the whole story. Sometimes they paint the whole picture. Sometimes they just they help solidify a point. So 1988, Bulls meet the Pistons in the playoffs. They lose four games to one. Jordan averages 27, nine rebounds, two steals, shoots 49%. The team gets better in 1989, especially in the regular season. They still lose to the Pistons four games to two in the playoffs. Jordan, 29, five boards, six assists. 1990 was when they pushed them to the limit, go seven games. Um, Couldn't get over the hump. Pistons again beat them. But Jordan averages 32 points, seven boards, six assists, two steals. Meanwhile, he's shooting 47%, so he's not just up there chucking shots. 47% getting beat up. And then 91 is when they break through, and this is the start of the Jordan run. Yep. They beat the Pistons. Yeah, the Pistons are older. The Pistons are probably tired. They won back-to-back championships, but they still had a team of superstars. They get swept by the Bulls, 4-0. Jordan goes 30, five boards, seven assists, and the best part is he shoots 54%. He figured out a way. Yeah, he figured out a way to beat the physicality of the Pistons, and we're not just talking forearm to the back. We're talking clotheslines. We're talking literally getting tackled into the first row of the reporters. Ah, different game. <laughs> different yeah, game. It's completely different <laughs> game than what it is. Completely different game. And, and not, to, not to compare, because it's very hard to compare, but imagine, imagine if that, if that style of play was around today. The rules have completely vanished. All of the the physicality of the NBA, you can't hand check. No, nope. you can't put a forearm on a guy when he's backing you down. No, nope. 
for all you who have not seen the docuseries yet, or for, for if you have and you just didn't pick up on this, the Detroit Pistons and their assistant coach, um, Coach Malone, literally came up with rules to punish anyone, especially Michael Jordan, if they were coming down the paint. If they came to the paint before he got off the ground, they wanted to physically hurt him. Because once he once he left the ground, he was Air Jordan. He was going to beat them with his jumpers or his his drives. You put that in today's perspective. LeBron's flopping are... half court, halfway yeah. down the court. Yeah, it's and I, it's guys in the on the Pistons would have getting a, would be getting ejected. Yeah. in today's game by the first quarter. Yeah, that's crazy. It's insane. I mean, there's the yeah. the physicality of the game back in the '90s compared to today's. Completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Yep. One of the stats I didn't write down, but you look at the the breakout. Game by game, Jordan was averaging 27, 29, 30. He was only going to the free throw line 8, 9, 10 10, times a game. So it's not like he's going 20 times a game and he's getting his points the freeway. He was going and he was driving. He was getting fouled, but they weren't calling fouls. Yeah. Mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. And it's just like, I don't know. I mean, it's mind-blowing just, the, just again, reiterating the physicality of the game. And, yep. I mean, you watch the series. Like you said, Jordan's going to the line and he's getting fouled. And, I mean, it's not getting called. Yep. And, I mean, some of these – I mean, some of them would be flagrant today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the fact that, like, Bill Lambier – Starts throwing fisticuffs yeah. and he's not ejected. Yeah. He's throwing punches. He's literally squaring someone up like a boxer. Yeah. And they call a flagrant and then they do a TV timeout and then they come back and he's still playing. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. But, but the cool thing about that is it shows how Dennis Rodman was drafted by the Pistons. Yeah. And he was a, he was the initial, well, not the initial, but one of the bad boys. Yeah. Him, Lambier, and Mahorn. Well, he even had a transition himself. Like, yeah. Dennis Rodman was also – I mean, he was kind of an outcast, kind of weird – you know, how did – I don't know. I guess you would call it in his fields about a lot of things. But then you have that transition. And it, it happens in athletes where you kind of have, all right, I'm kind of good. I feel like I'm kind of good. And then you see that mentality transition to like, all right, I'm going to own this shit. Like, yeah. And then that's and where he, they he flat take out it said to where – I realized I'm I'm really good at defense and I'm really good at rebounding. Yeah. And a young, he was, what, 24, 25 at the time? He realized yeah. that's how I'm going to stick in this NBA. Yeah. And that's how he did stick. And that's how he made yep. millions of dollars and went and blew it on <laughs> blew it in Vegas. Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> that's nuts. That's it. Those stories are, are crazy. So what's, what's the next uh, top five moment that you want to talk about, Big Steve? Um... Let's talk about Jordan giving Gus the game ball. So, if you have watched the series, you guys know who Gus is. If you haven't, I'm going to explain it a little bit, give you a little backstory. So, Gus is one of Jordan's longtime security guards. And this documentary really shows Jordan's loyalty to people that he's brought in, you know, kind of to his, you know, inner quarters. Like, if you're one of Jordan's guys, you'll forever be one of Jordan's guys. So Gus was a longtime security guard. And after 
Jordan's father, you know, tragically, tragically passed away. Gus kind of like in a mentor, you know, kind of in a mentoring way, kind of brought Jordan under his arm, you know, kind of played that father figure towards Jordan, giving him advice, um, you know, just little things like that. So after the game seven of the 98 Eastern Conference Finals, Jordan, you know, made that made that play and, like, made that game. And he gave Gus the, the game ball. So it just shows you um, – how, you know, how loyally – and, I, you know, I pick up those little things from the documentary just showing how it also shows Jordan was a human being. And Gus had been fighting cancer through that yep. through that time, and he was able to come back for that series. And, you know, it shows him in the tunnel, you know, literally. And you don't realize it until that's brought up. But if you go back and watch the series, you legit see Gus in every single shot of Jordan in the tunnel because he was, I mean, basically Jordan's body, man. Yep. And. Yeah, it's it's not a well-known position because it's not glorified. No. And it's actually probably a very tough job to have because he was literally just pushing um, media members and autograph seekers away yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, I mean, at the end of the day, Jordan's spending the most time with those guys. You got Gus and then yeah. you got Michael Wozniak, which – was uh, if you watch the quarter scene, Michael Wozniak is the guy with the crazy perm and the big glasses and mustache, and he's and he's putting twenty bucks down, and Jordan's betting him twenty bucks that you know he can't beat Jordan in the you know in quarters in the game of quarters, game and of then quarters. he shrugs, and then he shrugs. <laughs> he does the infamous shrug, but that also shows you Michael Wozniak was loyal to Jordan, and Jordan was very loyal to Michael Wozniak, and. Michael Wozniak passed away, I want to say last year. And, but even after Jordan retired, Wozniak was still a part of his security team. Like Wozniak still did security in front of his house. And like any events, you know, Wozniak was going on, going to with Jordan. So, um, and I read an article, it may have been Felicia Report. Don't quote me on that. But, uh, Michael Wozniak's son was on the plane on his way to see Michael Wozniak in the hospital, and he unfortunately passed away. But the first phone call he had gotten getting off the plane was Michael Jordan, you know, consoling, saying, hey, you know, about Michael Wozniak. So it shows you, you know, being a part of the inner circle and those relationships that are developed, you know, and that the documentary really does show – and do a very great job on showing those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. All throughout the nineties, Jordan was, was viewed as not human because of what he could do on a basketball court. Yeah. And this documentary shows his close relationship with his, his security guard, his team, Yep. Um, his super close relationship with his father. Yeah. Um, his father getting murdered in 1993. Um, Helped lead to the 18-month hiatus that Jordan went and played baseball. He had to get his mind off basketball. He didn't need to play anymore. He just won three in a row. He was at the peak. He didn't feel a challenge. Yeah. Uh, but in 1996, it shows when he won the championship against the Seattle Supersonics. Um, I, I remember watching. I was 10 years old. I remember thinking, 
this is this is huge. Yeah. And I did not put together the two and two that it was on Father's Day yeah, that, that he won his fourth championship. Yeah, that's my number one out of this whole whole thing. And just watching watching the documentary, I didn't realize it was Father's Day either. But yeah. you know, it showed Michael Jordan and his emotions. And, you know, you see him, you know, sobbing on the floor after the game and you have, you know, one the one person there consoling him. It doesn't show their face, but it looks like maybe an athletic trainer or mm-hmm. maybe a clubhouse guy, but just like giving him a towel, consoling him, and everybody kind of gave him his own space. Yep. And it, it just shows you how much his father meant to him. During the and it, entire and it also shows too his teammates and coaches didn't really know what to do. Yeah, because they've never seen him like this. No, that it, it that shows, was the one yeah. moment that he turned it off because he became human. Yeah, he became a normal person just like anybody yep. else. Yep, it's insane. It is insane because it's it's a stretch of you know he came into the league in eighty four. Yeah, he didn't start winning until ninety one. But after he hurt his after he broke his foot in his second season. Yep. That's when the the, the mentality of Jordan really started to show. Yep. And it came, you know, put it into practice. He was going to push his teammates hard. He was a huge trash talker. Yep. Huge trash talker, especially to his teammates. Yeah. But he says in the documentary, and I'm not gonna quote it verbatim because there's a lot of cuss words. Yeah. Um but he basically would demand that his players do everything they could to be the best, but he wouldn't demand anything that he, he himself would not do. Yeah. And when he was saying those quotes, I mean, they showed uh, a, a clip of the team doing suicides up and down yeah. the court. And who was out there and leading the pack? It was Michael Jordan. Yep. And when someone got close, he, he realized it, he would put into another gear. Yep. He kept yep. going. So, I mean, he's the true definition of leading by example, as cliche as it is. And, I mean, you have coaches – telling kids and telling players and telling, you know, professional athletes to lead by example. And nobody really knows what that means per se, but this documentary really shows that kind of mindset and what it took. And he wasn't trying to up show anybody for his own, you know, egotistical ways, but he was showing this is what you got to do to be a champion. And, yep. and each each individual is different. You look at, I, I keep bringing up Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan's personality is very quiet, yeah. very stoic. Um, but in his own way, he did the same thing. It was, you play hard. Every minute you're out on the out of the court, you play hard. You play hard every second on the practice court. And Jordan did the same thing, but Jordan motivated because the game back then was just different. Every single superstar on the team played 40 plus minutes every single night. Jordan played a full 82 game season for about seven straight years, including the playoff runs. He didn't miss a game. And this documentary shows there were some games where he was hurting. He was tired. Um, The 98 last game of his, of his career with the bulls before his uh, second retirement of three retirements, he he was, his jumpers were short, his legs weren't there. He was tired, and he knew he needed to to push himself, push himself, push himself. And the last fifty seconds of Game Six, are it's incredible how the documentary shows he knew what he needed to do. He was pushing himself to hit a shot, play defense, hit the game winning shot, and he knew he was going to do it. Yeah, 
He never doubted it. Yeah. And it showed in the documentary as well. Uh, it may have been practice before that game six. But him just shooting around and, like, he basically just said, you know, why worry about the shot that I haven't even taken yet? Yep. You know, because I can't control that. Yep. And that's one of, one of my favorite quotes of all time is the one where he's talking about, you're not going to hit every single shot. And I've missed way more game-winning shots than I've ever taken, that I've ever made. But if you don't take them, you'll never know. Exactly. He had no fear. Yeah. And when he missed the shots, a lot of these shots too, when you look at stats, it'll say like, oh, he only hit 45% of game-winning shots in the final five seconds. This documentary shows five or six of those shots were with one second left, and he was chucking up half-court shots. Yeah. And almost making them yeah. in and out against the Pacers. Yeah. And that affects the stats. That affects the field goal percentage. It didn't affect him. He looked at it as, yeah, it's just a bump in the road. Let's move on. Let's go to let's go to wherever we got to drive to or fly to and win the next game. Exactly. I mean, it's just again going back to that mentality that Jordan had and he developed going, you know, going through the years. Yeah. And that actually transitions perfectly into uh, my favorite moment of the docuseries. And it was a short moment. It was only about five or 10 minutes, but it was the Kobe Bryant. Yep. That was my number Kobe two. Kobe Bryant. Yep. And it's the same mentality. Kobe Bryant, um, they took a 2-0 series lead in the finals. I want to say 2009. Don't quote me on that. I'm probably wrong. However, you can you can YouTube this. Media goes, hey, Kobe, I haven't seen you crack a smile yet. You just that. took a 2-0 lead. And he just sits there and stoically says, it's not over yet. 2-0 lead, is, the job's not done. Yeah, last mile. Yep, he wasn't celebrating. That's the Mamba mentality. Yep. And Kobe in this documentary gives all of the credit to Michael Jordan. Yeah, he said, you know, quote, there wouldn't be five rings without him. Yep. So That's, oh man, goosebumps. It does, it gives you goosebumps. And, you know, personally, I thought when I, when I saw the trailer before this documentary came out, and it showed, you know, the different, you know, iconic stars sitting down. And, you know, I saw Kobe on. I was like, oh, man. Like, mm-hmm. Kobe's on there. Like, it gave me goosebumps. Like, man. I thought, you know, there would be a bigger role with Kobe in this documentary. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was initially and they cut it back. But at the end of the day, I think they, you know, the producers did a great job at, you know, kind of implementing and putting – Kobe into this documentary and seeing how this uh, affected Kobe himself, like how Jordan, yeah. you know, mentored Cody. I mean, Kobe, sorry. <laughs> I, I agree with that because you look at if they did more about Kobe and then it would have been, especially with the timing with Kobe passing in January. Um, I'm sure there's more filmed. I'm sure yeah. that'll get revealed later. The, the, the amount of time that Kobe was on screen as a player, Yep. And as just getting interviewed when he was 40 years old, I think it was perfect. Yeah. Because it showed the passion that Kobe had. It showed that Kobe mentally understood what needed to be done. Yep. On and off the court. And I've been saying this for years. The closest player I have ever seen to Michael Jordan is Kobe Bryant. Yeah. The mannerisms. Yep. Like, it's insane. They answer questions the same way. They, they thoughtfully... Um, come up with an answer that shows cockiness shows the ability to take over games, but it also shows that they know that the game is a team game. Yep. 
um, the, the locker room scene in the, I believe is the 97 all-star game. Yeah. Kobe's an 18, 19 year old kid. Yep. And you see Tim Hardaway and Michael Jordan and Glenn Rice just joking around about how Kobe wants to take you one-on-one yeah. and just beat you down with his athletic skills. And the game starts and Kobe announces to everyone, I got Jordan. I'm guarding Jordan. Yeah. It's not. And that's that's the same mentality that Jordan yeah. had his entire career. And going back to that little uh, shot in the they're showing in the locker room, but you know Jordan saying that little Laker boy being selfish. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't pass him the ball. No. You want the ball? You go rebound. It's <laughs> <laughs> fun, but it it shows. I, I you know R.I.P. Kobe. I miss him. Yeah, I do. Um. The one stat that, that just came out the other day, it didn't come out the other day, it happened years ago, but that I noticed the other day, of all the greats in the NBA, there are only three players to ever be picked for the all-defensive team, nine times or more, and win an MVP. And that very short list is Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, and Michael Jordan. Wow. Guys, that's insane. Like, you're talking about two-way players who impact their team. Kevin Garnett didn't get a ring until he goes to the Celtics. He could have put up 25 a night still at that time, but he knew Paul Pierce and Ray Allen were going to do the scoring. He became more of a defensive player and a vocal leader. Mm -hmm. Kobe had five rings. Three of them, Shaq wins finals MVP, so he is the Scottie Pippen, if you want, to the the Shaq. Kobe didn't become Kobe until really after Shaq left. And that's when he starts leading the league in scoring. He starts um, pumping in 50-plus wins for the seasons. And he had a good supporting cast, but it wasn't wasn't how the NBA is built today. He had the Pau Gasol's All-Stars. He had Lamar Odom coming off the bench. Um, Ron Artest. Howard, Ron Artest. He had a good team. But from my perspective and from Steve's perspective, it wasn't today's basketball where – you want to play with your best friend and you just sign these mega deals because it works out. Yeah. I mean, um, it was kind of, I don't know. It was in that transition phase of the NBA. You know, there's still, I mean, Kobe's later two championships. That's what I'm talking about. The yeah. transition phase. There's still defense yeah. being played. There's still, you know, the intensity of the game, but now, you know, it's a different NBA. Even, I mean, I guess 10 years ago. You know? Yep. The other cool stat, too, is when you look at, you know, the, the recent history, and by recent, I mean since the 80s, you don't have a lot of teams winning back-to-back championships. You have the Pistons. They won back-to-back. Jordan and the Bulls with two three-peats. Yeah. And then the only other team is Kobe Bryant's. He has a three-peat with the Lakers in the early 2000s and then the late 2000s, back-to-back championships. Yeah, was that 2009, 2010? I believe so, yeah. And Kobe Bryant... You know, he only won one MVP, um, but he probably should have won more. But still, it's just it just shows the mentality. And again, coming full circle, Kobe credits all of that, his Mamba mentality, to Michael Jordan. Exactly. Yeah. That's insane. But, so that, co- dude, that covers my five. That covers my five moments. Okay. There's, there's plenty more I could talk about. But Yeah, I have one more. Okay. And it goes alongside with having that mindset. It was Michael Jordan chilling in the locker room, locker room, smoking a stogie and swinging a baseball bat. 
<laughs> it was – it just showed how cool and chill Michael Jordan was before a game and chilling. Like, it just showed, like, him just chilling like nothing bothered him and he had that goat mentality. Like, it was just yep. – eh. You know, just taking hacks, half swing hacks in the locker room, smoking a smoking a stogie. He he knew he knew that if he went out and gave a hundred percent effort, he wasn't going to be beat. Yeah, it was not. And, and he was just the, he was just talking shop. Yep, smoking a stogie, taking some half hacks, and it just showed again. Again, I, I'm repeating myself, but just having that mentality. Yep. It's, it's 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 good to repeat yourself because it's such a good point. There, there's that fine line between cocky and confident. Yep. And some players come across this documentary. A lot of younger people that are watching this are are calling Michael Jordan an a hole because he seems to push his teammates too hard or he demands too much. I, I'm of the old school mindset. If you want to win, you give everything you have. Yeah. And Michael would see that they weren't his teammates. All the time, including Dennis Rodman, yeah. including Scottie Pippen, we're not giving a hundred percent all the time. Yeah. And you had to earn Jordan. Michael Jordan's respect. Yes. And there's a series, there's a uh, a little bleep in here about Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan. <laughs> yes. And Jordan was just on Steve constantly, and I believe, I mean, they came to blows. Yeah. And Phil Jackson kicked Jordan out of the out of the practice. And but Steve Kerr stood up to Jordan, you know, basically saying, "Hey, man, this is not how it's going to go." This yep. is, I'm a man. And I'm, from that day on, yeah. Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan were forever teammates. Yeah, that's it. And Steve, yep. you know, Steve earned Jordan's respect right there. That's what you got to do sometimes. Yep. Crazy. So, guys, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. The last dance, top moments here for Cup Check. Um, thank you for listening. If you guys want to learn more about us, we can be found at 27outs.com. That is 20, the number seven, outs.com. Uh, the podcast cup check, we're going to be pumping out awesome material as much as we can. We're not going to have a schedule because we're just going to take whatever topic pops up in the real world. We are missing sports like crazy. We are missing fantasy sports like crazy. But until then, we're just going to keep pumping out content. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. We are on anchor.fm under Cup Check. And this is actually going to be broadcast to a lot of places, including Google Play and Spotify and Apple iTunes. So if you want to check out more, go ahead and give us a click. Give us a listen. Follow us on Twitter, 27outs underscore. And uh, Steve... This was awesome. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Tim. Guys, have an amazing day, and we will see you 